Good morning. Perhaps you missed last week. We started the first of 12 or 13 messages on uh, a a firm foundation in Jesus Christ. And I'll let you know that I was, after 25 years of preaching, I'm going to take a different approach. Um, And I intend to do that. Uh, It is an approach that will be uh, uh, less superficial and more in-depth as it pertains to understanding the original intent of why things were written in the Bible. Um, I am not the least bit apologetic about the fact that some of this uh, you may have to listen to twice. I think some of this will be like at sometimes a master's level if you needed some way to understand it. Um, I think the depth is a necessary thing in a world of superficiality. Um, each of these weeks will have an associated faith and action sheet emphasizing the action portion. I'll be calling you to respond, not only hear the word, but heed the word of God and put into action things that you see uh, in the word. Uh, there are other opportunities in the church to also shore up your foundation. The ladies' Bible studies, the men's Bible studies, I've met with them, the children and the youth are all on the same page with the pulpit. We're all going to be moving together in the same direction. We'll be looking at the book of John and some of the other Bible studies. The Growing in Christ class had just started as part of that. And um, without further ado, let's get into it. Last week we talked about creation, and I uh, I hope I made the point that creation is a wonderful thing. The creation narrative between Genesis 1 and 1 and Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, We have, I think not fully captured the reason it was written and we've made it into more often than not an understanding of simply how the world was created what happened and when and all how long it took but in reality that passage as I went on yesterday or last week is that it's really a literary piece of work artwork with the symmetry involved that shows us the very reason you and I were created why we're on this earth And what is at the lowest part of the spiritual foundation that holds up the rest of your life? If you miss that, you miss quite a bit. If you gloss over the lowest part of the footer of the spiritual foundation and build your life on something other than that, then you're you're experiencing less than what the Lord intended for you to do and experience of him. And I I hope, hope I made that point. That point is worship. You and I are called and created and placed in fellowship with God in a temple originally that was defiled by sin. Originally, God wanted worshipers. We're going to talk about that today. I was going to move on to the next subject, but I felt like I needed to do this one more time. I don't even know what you call these things. You see them in big cities when they make um, skyscrapers. They're, they're big, huge, I guess you call them pylons, these big metal things that are they have this machine and a weight comes down and pushes them down into the ground. It makes a whole bunch of noise. And that skyscraper is only as good as the foundation beneath it. And those things have to go way down. And I feel like this message from last week is, is, is like that. It has to be pushed down further. And I want to explain a little bit more about what we're doing here by using this passage we see in John chapter 4, verse 22 and 24. This series, I cannot emphasize enough, will be distinguishably different than most 
what you'll hear in most churches. Not for difference sake, but for need's sake. Um, it'll be more identifiable with the ministry of Jesus than most of what you're hearing out there. The approach at times will be uncommon. You'll hear things you never heard before. It doesn't mean they're, they're just being said because they're different. They're, they're being said because they needed to be heard and they're true. Um, we'll preach some of the same topics you've heard at different times in your life, but these topics and the way that they're presented will yield different results. In fact, greater results. This is the first of four, uh, four tracks, firming up a foundation, freedom in Christ, which will be after this, this summer, the person and purpose of the Holy Spirit and living in lordship. We won't do all four of those this year. We'll do two, and we'll probably sneak in something on evangelism in the fall that you'll be ready for and can't wait to actually put into action. So buckle up. Here we go. You Samaritans worship, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. It's very helpful to worship someone you know. How about that? It's very basic. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit, capital S, it's Holy Spirit, and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. That's interesting. The Father is seeking worshipers. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Okay. Well, there it is. First question. It is the Father that we worship. All right. what, why is this? Why, what is it? What, what is so big about that? Can you, can't you worship the Son? Of course you can worship the Son. But we worship the Father. What does the Son provide? As soon as you say Father, you now understand that there's a Son. Now you have the Godhead. We worship the Father, and the Son provides access to the Father through the blood that was shed to cleanse us of our sin so that we, in our sin, can go to the Father in, in the Spirit. So you have the Holy Spirit who's helping us. You have Jesus who provides the access to the Father. But at the very most rudimentary, fundamental thing, we're worshiping the Father. Through the Son, the power of the Spirit. All right, there you go. Let's just start with that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay? So let's keep that for right now in mind. Now, how do we worship? How do verses worship? And how might a lack of worship complicate a person's life? All right, here's a very fundamental statement. If you haven't heard me say it before, it, it, I'll just say it again. What we focus on in life enlarges. It's very simple. What you magnify in your life will continue to get bigger. If you magnify the Father through the Son, the power of the Spirit, he'll be bigger and bigger and bigger in your life, more and more influential. If you magnify your past, your trauma, your hurts, your lack, your inefficiency, some, something, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is you magnify, that will get bigger. There's only so much room in your heart, in your mind, in your life, there's only so much time in a day 
Whatever gets bigger crowds out everything else and makes it smaller. God calls us to worship the Father. You and I are called to magnify the Father, extol the Father, glorify the Father. That's all Jesus was about, was glorifying the Father. And the Father got bigger and bigger and bigger in his life, so too did the fruit of his life. If you listen to yourself worship, and I'm not talking about singing a song in church, I'm talking about rehearsing your past, the bad parts of it. Rehearsing and being critical of your spouse. Highlighting that which is negative. If that actually is a form of worship, you are magnifying it, repeating it, rehearsing it, and making it a constant present thing in your life. When you do that, you're not worshiping the Father, you're worshiping the problem. You see this a little bit in recovery in your, in your, in your um, support groups. I am so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Okay, I get it. But after 30 years of that, and that being told to you for 30 years, you're magnifying a condition, not the one who delivers you from it. Listen, out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth will speak. Say it another way. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will worship. What comes out of your mouth if you listen to yourself are the things that you want to see get bigger in your life, and they will. Um, This is very basic, very simple. What's the difference between a true worshiper and an untrue worshiper? I think it really comes down to the object of your affection or worthship. That's where the word worship comes from, worthship. What you place great worth on. If it's something other than the Father or something has usurped the sequence of those events and your problem has become more to be magnified than the Father himself, that's not true worship. That's secondary handouts, leftovers. We want to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, has a role in your worship. Just like you would see the Holy Spirit has a role in your prayer life. You're not abandoned to yourself to worship and to pray. I hear that all the time. I don't know what to pray. Well, you got to let the Holy Spirit in. He'll help you. He's very interested in that. He'll help you. True worshipers are ones that worship the Father through the Son with the help of the Spirit. The Spirit intervenes. The Spirit gives us direction. We'll get back to that in a little bit. One can worship things very near to God, very near to the heart of God, but not be God. All right, let let that sink in. People can worship things They're very near to God, near to the heart of God, but are not the Father. I'll give you an example. Have you ever seen a bride marry first the concept of marriage and marry her husband second? You can get so excited about marriage, you're marrying marriage if you really thought about it. You can, you can worship ministry. 
You can stand in a pulpit and put yourself in front of millions of people on a regular basis, and after time, be careful, you could actually worship the ministry you're providing. You'll know if that was the case, because you'll hear them hit bottom with a loud thud. We can worship things in our life, magnify things in our life, rehearse things in our life that look good, but are not primarily the Father. Very careful. You can worship your career and your provision that's used in great part to build the kingdom, but you're secondarily worshiping the Father who's the king of the kingdom. We, this whole Samaritan Jesus exchange is trying to prioritize these things and make it very clear that the Father is first through the Son and the power of the Spirit. You can worship tradition. You can worship music. You can worship, worship music. You can romanticize the past and past experiences and things that you've had in your life and your walk with God. You can worship the things that God does and not God himself. You say that's you're splitting hairs. You're right. And if on this particular subject you don't want to, we're worshiping the Father. We've got to get ourselves aligned with that. Now this is interesting, is it not? Does the Father seek out worship? Yes, he does. He wants us to worship him. You know, if you don't really understand it, it kind of is problematic. What is he? Is he, is he narcissistic? Is he incomplete without it? Does he have some sort of deficiency? Does he have a void in him that he's not the same if we don't worship him? Does he have to be praised constantly for his own benefit, for his own identity? What, what is that? Why does he need, why does he want, what does he long for us to long after him like a deer pants for the water brooks? What is that? What is his motivation? Well, at the very bottom of the foundation of your life, and some of us may have to go back and shore that up, listen, this is important. The bedrock of your Christian life is not prayer. It's not faith. It's not hope. It's worship. He wants us to worship him because he knows that we need to worship. And it is preventative of future problems and it is medicinal for current issues. Said another way, if we don't worship him in spirit and in truth, our deficiencies aren't taken care of or filled, our voids aren't filled, and we have not prevented ourselves from going astray. Worship has to be primary because the first commandment that we're given is to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's it, and love your neighbor as yourself. That has to be primary. So this gets problematic here. If I said to you today, and wait till about 20 minutes from now when you're really upset with me, when I ask you this question, how's your worship? The, the true answer to that question determines the trajectory of almost every area of our lives because it's the bedrock below the bedrock. Worship has to precede your morning devotion. Worship has to be more important than anything because it actually gives direction to everything we do and motivation. Worship. 
God is not a narcissist and he's not deficient. He has no deficit. Lucifer wants worship and he wants it to fill a deficit. It is for our personal and corporate betterment that we worship in spirit and truth. It is the most important thing we do. True biblical worship necessitates preparation. As important, now listen now, as important as worship is to God, he gives us some examples when not to worship. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Knowing that our greatest need is to worship him, there are times when he says don't. Now why would he do that? Because worship is so important, he doesn't want it corrupted. Matthew 5 and 23, don't bring your gift to the altar while you still have an issue with your brother or sister. Don't worship me until you too get yourself right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Holy Communion. If you have issues with your brother and sister and you've taken communion inappropriately, I did a whole sermon on this. It was actually a pretty good one. Deal with that issue before you come to the table. Think about that. Think about how important those issues must be to the Father that he would prohibit, if not encourage us not to worship him, knowing that worshiping him is one of the most important things we actually need. He doesn't need it, you do. He doesn't need it, I do. Those things must be important to him. Let's move on. That makes reconciliation and unity incredibly important, that those things would actually come in the way of worship. The culture, on the other hand, worships many things. I don't need to go into a lot of detail. I mean, you don't have to be outside in culture more than 20 minutes to figure this out. Turn the TV on. But worship the Father through the Son The power of the Spirit and the family of the Godhead brings about family in a church. That's where the one another's come in. Pray for one another, build one another up, encourage one another, share with one another, pray with one another, pray for one another. All those one another's come to pass. A church that doesn't worship in spirit and in truth, but out of duty or tradition, or the Spirit of God's not helping them, or they're dismissing the requirements that have to be taken care of before you worship, that church is doomed for absolute division. A house divided cannot stand. A nation that worships any and everything and creates idols at any and every corner is a house divided that cannot stand. It's going to fall, and it's the absence of true worship that will bring about the descent. What does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? With the Spirit's help, with pinpoint focus, in a biblical manner. I say biblical manner because we'll get into this when we talk about prayer. Worship is not just singing a song. It is. But how you live, the integrity with which you do business, the entirety of your life that glorifies God. This is all worship. Everything is worship. And that's why it's so important to God. Everything we do. It's not like he gets up and on Monday morning go, here we go. This is it. I can't wait for you to worship uh, in, in 168 hours for 20 minutes on Sunday morning. 
I want it so bad and you need it so bad. Let's do it for 20 minutes next Sunday, shall we? I'll get back with you then. No. He wants any and everything you do and I do this whole week long. How you conduct yourself on the golf course? How you do business? How you minister to other people? What you laugh at? What you say? Our whole life exists to bring glory to God. And he knows that we need to know that we're accountable to that because it's the number one commandment. What qualities should a true worshiper possess in light of an earnestness in worship? Worship is therapeutic. Uh, those who worship the Lord um, have a perception of God that's bigger than those who know the same God but don't worship him as much or not as earnestly or not as frequently or not as much in the spirit, okay? So your perception of God, your understanding of God is proportionally, directly proportional to your understanding and experience in worship. If you focus on him, if he's personal, if he's your friend, if you glorify him, if you biblically worship him, then he's the all in all of your life. He's bigger than anything else you gotta complain about, talk about what you don't have. He's bigger than your past, whatever it is. I hear people all the time, I pray and I pray and I pray and I just don't get any answers. Your prayer has not been preceded by worship. You're praying to a God, you're not even totally confident it's going to answer the prayer because you've never magnified him. I'm using an example here in an extreme to make a point. If you don't magnify him, why should you trust him? You've already demonstrated you don't trust him because you don't magnify him. You've already made him irrelevant before you've even asked him to do anything for you. God needs us to make him big so that when we go to him with a big, big problem, he's bigger than the problem. Uh, you see, we, if we don't, you say, well, I don't, I don't really know him. Well, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You need to know him. But you don't need to know much of him. He is so potent, so big, so powerful, so glorifying, so incredible. You don't need to know much of him to find him worthy of worship. One iota of God's enough to worship him for eternity. We don't need to understand everything about him. Worship precedes prayer. So you feel like sometimes you're like, I'm totally alone here. I believe there's a God. I understand he died for me. Um, I accept the death of his son as penalty for my sin. And I just don't hear from him. I don't, I don't really ask him and he doesn't really answer. Worship the Lord your God, please. It's uh, out of order sequentially out of order. Who do you want to pray to? A wussy God that you've created in your mind or the one true God in the Bible? Yeah, I said wussy God. We make him so tepid when he's all powerful. Our worship does that for us, you see. We're more prone to repent before of God we've magnified. We're less prone to repent for a God that we've defined as all not, all, not all that consequential. 
If you look at the time that I spend worshiping or even talking, I talk about worship, but do I worship? I'm up here advocating worship. Here's the question, do I worship? You see what I'm saying? So if we don't do that personally, we've actually made the statement to him that he's really not all that important, but my, plan, my problems seem to be a whole lot more important than he is. Worship. We're more prone to repent. We're more prone to forgive. When you start focusing on the Lord and worshiping him at your home, in the spirit, you're much more aware of your sin. And that, my friend, is a good thing. If you don't worship, guess what? You're dull, glazed over, callous to your own self-destruction. Worship, worship, worship. We're more prone to let go when we worship. We're more prone to trust him and let go of problems. Cast your cares on him and he will sustain you and never let the righteous fall, Psalm 55. We're more prone to cast our cares on him when we've magnified him and know that he is who he says he is. We're less prone to do that when we're equally as important in our eyes as God because we tend to worship ourselves more than him. Again, I'm exaggerating to make a point. That's called hyperbole. We're more prone to be confident in our faith. We're more prone to repent, to love, to trust. We're more prone to rest. You've heard me talk about this. Why does why does Chick Fil A, uh, an excess almost a five billion dollar company, six days a week, and another company, not one, can catch up with them seven days a week? When you have a lifestyle and a mission statement and, a, and, the, and the purpose of your life is to glorify God, he doesn't need every day to do it. He needs you to rest. He already modeled that for us last week. So where you have anxiety, where you have fear, where you have trepidation, where you have timidity, all those could primarily be, my friend, a symptom of an absence of magnifying God in spirit and in truth. In fact, if, you're, if your, definition of, your personal definition of worship is to go to church and sing three songs and get back with them next week, I'm surprised you don't have more anxiety or fear or trepidation or timidity. I, I, I don't know how you do it. Because you're about three songs above everyone else out there in the world who doesn't even know them. Let me say that again. If you come to church to worship God in a 20-minute span of time, seven of which is a ramp-up, and you're satis- you think you're satisfied with that's the magnification that this true God needs from you for the rest of the week, and somehow the liturgy has sort of justified that explanation of why that's what worship is, That's why I'm having these conversations because nobody will go to the place of discipleship and the the relationship with another person to hear this. I got to tell you right here, it ain't getting it. This world's falling apart. This country's falling apart. Here it is because righteousness exalts a nation and we somehow decided that three songs on a Sunday morning ought to pretty much cover this omniscient, omnipotent God. We haven't even scratched the surface. What does every revival, every outpoint of the Holy Spirit have a characteristic to it? 
night and day, never-ending worship. Whether you're a bunch of college students in a haystack, or you're a few people at the end of a class at Asbury College, whether you're in Azusa Street in Los Angeles at the turn of the century, or you're in Wales, you're going to worship. And it's in that context of worship that you're going to see the Spirit of God come. Because we don't worship, and I'm talking, not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church overall. Because we don't worship like we know we should, what we do is we overcompensate with prayer. Because we don't personally evangelize the lost, we overcompensate with prayer. It makes us feel good. But at the, I'm telling you, the pylon has to be driven to the point of bedrock where worshiping the spirit and truth actually is what we're doing if we want to see the results that we want. I don't know. What do you want me to tell you? Something else? Pray more. Pray more often. Pray with more people. Worship in spirit and truth Live a lifestyle of worship, and God inhabits the praise of his people. You don't even have to pray for it. You experience it in your living room, your bedroom, your church. Worship, it's therapeutic. How many counseling sessions that are about anxiety or on some level, not always, depression, stress, physical conditions, all of those, how many of those things, who knows, God knows, how many of our, our deepest counseling needs for therapy, our, our bitterness or, or whatever, is really on some level there for an absence of worship? I don't know. Think about it. Because all I'm suggesting for some of us is to change 100% of the paradigm of how we live our lives. <laughs> try, try doing that in the span of a 35 minutes on a Sunday morning, 2.5 times a month. Some online. Pray first or worship first? Worship first. So you know who you're praying to. Know who's first. Know what, who he comes, what he comes before. I learned this at a very early age, not because I was smart. I wasn't. I was very green. I was pretty much biblically illiterate. I was biblically illiterate. And I became a youth pastor, which I don't know if those two things go together or not, but they did, they did with me. And that was my experience. Man, they made some serious assumptions when they looked at me. I must have been faking it till I make it because I got a youth pastor job and I had little to no knowledge of the Bible. So I sat, so you know what it caused me to do? Worship. Right? I said, so someone told me there was some book going around like pastors need a prayer team. I thought, well, I'm a pa- if I'm a pastor, I don't care if I'm a pastor or not, I need a prayer team. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, no matter the fact we had 30 high schools represented, one of the biggest revivals among young people in Atlanta in the 80s and 90s. Never mind that. I had no idea what I was doing. So I started worshiping. I said, Lord, I need a prayer team. He goes, well, you worship first, good. You, now you know who you're talking to. I'll give you one. Go look for people who worship. And I thought, what do you mean? Go look for people who pray? No, 
go look for people who worship. So Sunday morning, I'd go into the sanctuary. There'd be about 4,000 people there. And I just sat there. And I looked around. Didn't matter if I knew them or not. I watched them worship. If I ascertained, and if the Lord confirmed it, that they really knew him and were truly worshiping him, I asked them for an appointment. And I would call them. i said, my name's Gary Hewins. I'm, I'm the youth minister at Mount Perrin. Oh, you are? Okay. I didn't know we had one. <laughs> yeah, we have one, ma'am. And boy, am I incapable. I didn't say that. <laughs> I tried to say something that would sound like I really knew what I was talking about because I knew I was talking to somebody who knew how to worship. So I'm talking to like an oak tree and I'm an acorn. Well, it is an acorn. An acorn is just a little nut that stood its ground. That was me. I was an acorn. They were an oak tree. I watched them worship. I could tell what was going on. And I said, I'd like to meet with you. And they go, what's it about? And I said, well, I'd rather, I'd rather not tell you because you might not come. So it piqued their curiosity and they came. And I said, ma'am, I want to be honest with you. I'm kind of new in the Lord and I'm new here and, these, and you know what's going on among the youth. The Lord told me to look for worshipers and I see you. He told me to have a meeting with you. He did? Yeah. I'd like you to pray about being a personal intercessor for me and my family. And I appreciate it if you wouldn't answer now because I watched the way you worship so I know you know how to pray. So I know that if you pray, you'll get the answer you need. I ended up with 12. I buried one of them in Blue Ridge, Georgia some years ago. Uh, her name uh, was Sandra Robinson. I have no doubt in my mind that in the darkest times of my life, when our son was about to die, when there was a decision to make, she probably lost more hours of sleep praying for me than I actually prayed for myself. And that's the truth. She was a gift. And she prayed that ministry into a revival, and prayed me into places around the world. And it was her, because she's a worshiper. Prayer is not a gift. So let's do away with that right now. The Bible does not say that prayer is a gift. Prayer is a responsibility. Intercession is a responsibility. But it's birthed out of worship. Know to whom you are praying and know through worship. Pray the Lord your God with all your heart. Here's what I learned. Even a wounded heart is a heart. Even an embittered heart is a heart. Even a broken heart is a heart. I told you I have to go back to go forward in my own spiritual walk. I have to go back and, and I have to download some passion and some fundamentals that I have errantly minimized in my life, which gives me, and now I'm maximizing, which gives me a right to share that with you. I have to go back to the start of my walk, and I have been doing so for weeks, to actually get back to where I was when I started. 
Because we have a tendency to think we have things figured out when we don't. That we measure quality of relationship by time. You can, we can celebrate someone who's been married for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. It doesn't mean it was quality years. You can celebrate your walk with Christ for decades. It doesn't mean it was quality. You can spend time with your children, which is what they want more than anything else, but it doesn't mean it's quality. Being in the same car, going to a gymnastics practice is not spending time with your daughter, necessarily. And the Lord looks at that, and we tend to look at chronological time and, and sort of define the success of like, okay, or we've been together this long, so that's great. It is great, but is it quality? Is it quality? So I went back in prayer and in my mind to, to the night I got saved, and Dr. Paul Walker led me to the Lord. It's, it was an incredible person, leader, minister. He was almost ostracized out of the Church of God in the 80s and 90s. They almost wanted to kick him out, and he later became the general overseer, which is kind of funny, because he was reaching hippies with the gospel. Anyway, I told you this story before, but it bears repeating. His son and heir apparent to his ministry when he was in college was killed by a drunk driver. And the whole church mourned. We, we, it was hurtful. It was, it was horrible. It was deep, deep water. And that man that we loved so much was hurting so bad. And his wife that we loved so much was hurting so bad. And it's through his wife, Carmelita, that I learned what worship is. After the funeral and all the thousands of people who came and the exhaustion of shaking hands with almost all of them, in the privacy of a graveside service, they stood over their son as everyone walked back to their automobiles. And Dr. Walker was about to join him, leave the graveside of his son, Paul Dana, and walk back for some kind of reception. And she grabbed him by the hand and held it. She said, Paul, we're not done yet. He said, we're not done. He's in the ground. And she said, she looked at him. She said, Paul, we haven't worshiped. So they stood at that graveside and worshiped the Lord. See, whatever heart you got, give them all of it. Grieving heart, lonely heart, embittered heart, hardened heart. He didn't say your heart had to be perfect. He just said he wants all of it. Give them all of it. Give them all of it. He is not conditional upon what does or hap doesn't happen in our life. He's not conditional with us. We have no right to be conditional with him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. During Sunday morning service and beyond that, Paul, we're not done yet. I can't love my neighbor until I love him first. I can love my neighbor with my love that ain't going to go too far. 
I can also love him with his love. And where do I get his love? Worship. True worship fosters true love. All right. This is now, I'm going to wrap up. This is the most difficult thing to communicate and it's so easy for me to do what I'm about to do wrong. I know that. I know, I know my audience. I know this church. I know a lot of what your people, I, I know where you people have been. I know your struggles. I know your sins. I know a lot of things you're going on in your life that no one else knows. I got all the dirt on Highlands that a lot of people don't know. It's all right here in my head and my heart. I try to forget it, but I walk around with it everywhere I go. So I know that what I'm about to share can be, can be razor thin and, and, and go into a real bad place. It, what I'm about to share can be perceived as that's legalistic. It's not. You're beating me over the head with a bat. No, I'm not. I gave you an assignment. And even saying it that way, it sounds... So foreign to what we do. Like I said, we're doing something different. Yeah, I gave you an assignment. You call me pastor, I'll be a pastor. You want a pastor, I'll be a pastor. I give you an assignment. I'm not apologizing for that. That's what I actually am supposed to do. It's actually what no one else is doing. So here we go. I gave you an assignment. See, even that sounds weird. Write a personal, this last week, and reflective letter to the Lord. As soon as I wrote that, I go, you fool, no, I got to do that. Regarding your worship of him. Discuss your heart, your challenges, and your questions. What may you be missing? What changes are appropriate? What aspects of your worship are authentic and strong? And then turn your letter into a prayer. Why would I do that? Why would I assign that? Okay, it would cause you to have to think about worship. It would be a follow-up to a message, which I thought was pretty good, on the heart of God. Did I have the expectation that everybody would do it? No. So why do it? Well, there's two reasons. One, I knew that some would, would some would, and they would benefit. And then I knew that some wouldn't. And they'd have to respond to this question. And it's the best question. It's the most loving question. It shows the most care I can show for you by asking the question. And it's the most revealing question I can ask you to help you. So, no, I'm not on you for whether you did or didn't write the letter. I'm more interested in your answer personally to the question I'm about to ask because it will help you. And what is that? If you wrote the letter, praise God, I hope it helped. But if you didn't, if you didn't write the letter, here's the question. Why not? Why didn't you write the letter? And the answer to that question is vitally important as it pertains to you and your walk with Christ as a worshiper of Jesus Christ, the Father in the Spirit. 
Why didn't you write the letter? Possible, real reasons. That guy's not gonna tell me to write a letter. He doesn't have the authority to tell me to write a letter. I'm, gonna write, I'm not in school, I'm a grown adult. I don't have to write a letter. Okay, that's very true, you don't have to. That's not the question. What does that say about you as a worshiper? Here's another one. You know, I really didn't have time this week. Okay. There is this God called the Ancient of Days who created the heavens and the earth and he created you to worship him. And he wants you to worship him more than anything and it's his greatest heart's desire and it's the greatest beneficial thing you can do for yourself and your marriage and your family and your life and your business. It's the greatest spiritual foundation you can build your house on and you didn't have time what does that say about you as a worshiper so far the two things coming between you and worshiping are your attitude towards me and you didn't have time not that impressive so far Let's go further. I've kind of been around, I've been in a few churches. I know what that's about, I know what you're going to say. Uh uh, I didn't say anything last week that you expected to hear. Not a word. I've always done it this way. I didn't want to. There's an honest one. I can take that one. I didn't want to. That's why I didn't do it. I didn't want to. That's the best answer yet. I didn't feel led. <laughs> you didn't feel led to wor- you didn't feel led to worship? Oh no, sorry. See, that's why this is the most difficult part of the message. Why didn't you write the letter? Why didn't you worship? Here's another one. Uh, Why didn't you start memorizing the scripture? It's interesting. This is a laboratory experiment on a very small scale that if opened up to all people who follow Christ gives an incredible explanation of why this world is in the shape they're in. I didn't feel led to and I didn't have time. And I didn't like the fact you asked me to do it. Okay. Next question. If that in fact is the truth, who are we worshiping? Who? When we go so far, so often into grace and forgiveness and the love of God and we accompany that simultaneous with a lack of accountability and encouragement and challenge we end up speaking of 
the evangelical church, an inch deep and a mile wide. I wrote my letter <laughs> because I had to at this point. Just kidding. My letter went something like this. Lord, can we discuss my heart and your heart? Can we discuss all of my heart? I'm not sure I totally understand what that is, but I want to. So speaking of my heart, what part do I withhold from you? What part of my heart have I fenced in? What part of me have I cut off from you? What part of my heart do I keep from you and why do I do that? I confess I can have more time than I actually have desire to worship you because I have so many things to do. And when I do them, I'm not sure by doing them I am worshiping you. What's your thought on that? Have I made you in me different than you and me? If I'm living my life in the you and me, then he's not necessarily in me. Therefore, when I worship, I'm worshiping him apart from him and I have not the help of the Spirit, and that's not in spirit and in truth. Am I the guy who advocates worship and still withholds it from you? Release me from myself when most needed. How will worshiping you help me and my family? I just put it to him bluntly. My church family. Have I a greater fear of man than I do of you? Take me back to my first love, to you, my first love. Take me to the place where you are and don't let me go. Magnetize me to your whisper, your voice, your reminders of your presence. Mountains melt like wax. Will you not melt my heart again and again over and over to ever increasingly honor, glorify, and worship you? Take me back to go forward in you. Take me deep to go up and take me out to see in. Take me in your heart that sees others in love and grace. If not you, what or who would I exalt? I confess, I do at times worship what you do over who you are. I worship my faint previous notion of you more than I do at this time and moment. What part of my soul do I keep from you? And how does it affect my allegiance to you? Can my worship at times simply be habit? I abhor that. You're not my habit, you're my holiness. Today, just you and I, fresh, daily bread, fresh affection, earnestness, loyalty, and spirit and the truth. How can I accept that you long to hear from me? I first loved you with a broken heart, but now my heart made more whole. I seemingly break your heart. How do the two collide? How do I walk more seen as you see? And how do I center more in your heart? Worship, worship, worship. Was I not wiser at first than I am now? 
If I've been so casual, lacking reverence when needed most, and can we work on my roots rather than my symptoms? Worshiping you is my best therapy, my best counsel. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I want to love you more. You are so solid, strong, and dependable. You are the lifter of my head. You are my shield and my strong tower. Help me run more often in the same direction as you and yield to your power, authority, and truth. And then I had this memory verse for today. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're doing church different. The service seems over, but it really just begun. Because there's things to do. I no longer have the time, desire, or inclination to watch people rotate in and out of the church of Jesus Christ. I just assume the people in it seek him and find him when they seek him with all their heart. As our musicians come up, let's prepare for Holy Communion. Do not allow yourself to try to mimic the, the walk of another person. Be who you are and be as honest as you can possibly be. And there's the truth of worship him in spirit and in truth. There it is. Your assignment for this week, (laughs) I hate saying that, is this. Don't worship for an hour. Only count when you're actually worshiping in spirit and in truth. And I hope it's an hour. Connect with God. Worship him. Ask nothing of him or from him. Just worship him. See if we can put an hour together between now and next Sunday. It'd be wonderful. It may take four. It may take five. But we net one. Let's learn to worship him in spirit and in truth. There's nothing more important for us to do. Period. Okay, I don't know. I hope that wasn't legalistic. You all called me to come up here and be a pastor, and my first impression was, I don't think I am one. I wasn't far from the truth. I'm more a preacher than a pastor. I realize that. But I'm pretty honest about it. And I'd rather be honest and offer less than be deceitful and offer more. I don't have it all figured out. That book does. And you impress me as the kind of people who want him more than anyone. And that's who I want to be around. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as the communicants come up, we're going to try to do this, okay? So everyone on the sides, would you, would you all over here go to your left and take the elements up here and far in the corner and then go back? Would you all over here uh, go exit to your right? Take the elements and then come back. We're going to try to leave the altar as open as possible for people to access if they want to, okay? 
And would those in the middle kind of come up here maybe and give our altar space? Let's pray. Woo. You don't need us to worship you. We need to worship you. And the greatest reason I can think of is your broken body and the blood of your son. And Prima says it all to me. That through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If that's not worthy of worship and thanks, I don't know what is. There are, I know a few here struggling, Father. Having magnified the pain of the past, some of which the entirety of their whole life has been painful. I cannot begin to understand that. But you're a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And they have a heart whatever portion of their heart that is accessible to you, may they worship you. And slowly but surely, may you become bigger, stronger, and more real than any pain or loss or tragedy they've ever experienced. Show them a new and living way. In Jesus' name, amen.